Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. March Madness is upon us, and Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. NBA is in full swing, and college basketball heats up as the schools make their way to the madness. Tournament is coming, and so is a $100,000 Bracket Madness contest, as Bet Online is the spot for you all to be for your bracketology needs. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast. Today is Monday, March 15th, 2021. Really appreciate you being with us. Last week we had the uh, founders of the Bolted podcast on for a very exciting show. And uh, today we're going to be, this is for episode 11, season three. Uh, we're going to be talking about sports drive to perfection. What do we mean by that? Well, there was this great article that I read uh, last week on um the soccer club or football club, depending on where you're stationed geographically, uh, Liverpool is uh, hired an astrophysicist to um, sort of embrace artificial intelligence or AI to reduce injury. Now, at first glance, this may seem as a big shock or as, you know, maybe something that uh, doesn't belong in sports, but I think when you break it down a little bit, you can actually see that um, this makes a lot of sense uh, from you know artificial intelligence to data analytics. Uh, I think that uh, there are some reasons why this, this um, actually may help, uh, whether you're talking about you know preventing injury or whether you're talking about uh, efficiency. I think that the use of um, the increased use or now I guess beginning use of artificial intelligence uh, and analytics and predictive analytics, data analytics, all goes towards efficiency. And that was a great Sport Sportico article that I read. Um, encourage you guys to check it out. I think that uh, it provides some uh, very interesting insight into the use of artificial intelligence, uh, obviously by Liverpool, for uh, the idea of it reducing injury, but also some others, other instances where it's being used uh, in different industries and also in sports. And, um, you know, for example, the article talks about Major League uh, Baseball. There's at least one club that is testing AI. I would not be surprised if that's the Dodgers uh, or even the Red Sox. Um, and then, of course, you've got uh, teams in the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Soccer that are using it. I would not be surprised if the NHL is also using some sort of predictive analytics um, and, and, uh, or artificial intelligence. And of course, this goes to both on the field or on the ice or on the pitch, uh, on the floor, uh, if you will. Um, you know, analytics, you know, in terms of the players and drafting of players and signing of players and injuries and everything else. But I think it also goes uh, even more so probably to off the court. 
uh, analytic when you're talking about ticket sales and uh, fan bases and what merchandise to sell. I think that um, you know even HR and legal departments are starting to use this, particularly when it comes to contracts. You know, it'd be nice to have a database where you can research what deals were done in the past and what were they were structured like. Um, you know, what the result of those deals were, that sort of thing. You know, normally we, we have, um, you know, our brains to sort of work with and we can say, all right, you know, here's some data that we can sort of point to from the past, but we're limited in that capacity, right? So, um, you know, because we can really only use what we remember. And so I think anytime you can have an assistant or assistant, I guess, uh, you know, I think kind of helps with that. So, you know, in sort of the use of uh, artificial intelligence and analytics and predictive analytics and analysis and efficiency, I think there's some key takeaways that uh, we can sort of look at. I think number one is data points, right? You know, anytime you're researching something, you're looking at something, you're trying to make a decision, whether that be in life or business, it really doesn't matter. I think that, you know, ultimately it's nice to have data points in my opinion, there's nothing stronger than being able to look to, towards something if there's a problem that's been presented to you and you can look towards that problem and say, all right, I have the answer or I have uh, a solution or I have data points that I can point to to say, I know that this happened in the past and this happened in the past and this is how we dealt with that, right? So anytime you can have data points, that's great. And I think artificial intelligence can help with that because it can say, you know, here's all the data points from the past. Here's all the, the uh, information that we can, you know, physically put into, um, you know, or digitally put into a computer. And then that sort of computer can feed out a report to say, here's what we have. And then, and I think in that context, you know, obviously human performance, as I mentioned earlier, has its limits without aided knowledge, right? I think more information is great to make better decisions. Now, I think one of the interesting things with this is that um, there's going to be boundaries and ethics and all of this, right? And I think, um, you know, ultimately, I think as long as AI and analytics stays in the lane of humans acting upon knowledge, I think we'll be fine, right? And I think sports will be fine. I think the problem is, and even the greatest data scientists would tell you this, that I think the problem is, is that when knowledge and machine learning controls our decision-making, I think that's where we have a problem because then we're not using analytics and AI or predictive analytics as, a, as an assistant, we're using it as a decision-maker. And I think that um, data, personality, um, often you know, NFL uh, agents and front office personnel will say when they're going to draft somebody, and this happens in all sports that have a draft, you know, is that you look at uh, data points, right? You look at, okay, what's the person's statistics? What was their batting average? You know, what was their uh, completion rate? You know, this sort of thing. But I think at the end of the day, there's also character to consider, right? And there's sort of those intangible to consider uh, what maybe many scouts might call like the it factor, right? Those are probably things that AI cannot pick up on uh, at this point. And uh, you know, ultimately, I think that's the power of sort of human knowledge is that we are limited by what we can remember, but we can be aided by AI and analytics and data 
uh, in making decisions, but we can't let it control us. And I think uh, any front office personnel would tell you that, that they use both sort of traditional models and they use, um, you know, predictive models. And they say, this is what, you know, could happen. But then again, I think, um, you know, it's one of those things where if anything, I think data analytics, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's there to help, right? It's there to sort of open up more opportunities for uh, front office personnel or um, really for anybody in any industry to make different decisions and to make them with sort of eyes wide open uh, with, with, you know, all pieces of knowledge that you can access. Um, you know, I guess we can make the argument that maybe too much knowledge you know, can hurt decision-making. Um, but I think at the end of the day, if you can have some additional knowledge to sort of help you make a decision, that's going to be for the best. And I think what that Sportico article was really pointing out is that, you know, analytics um, can help. They can help prevent injury. They can show when a player performs at his best. They can show, um, you know, uh, where, um you know, somebody is, is going to be in a better spot than something else, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, if you're talking about, uh, um, you know, field management, you know, in terms of, you know, where you, you know, where you might place the sword stop on the field. Right. And uh, that sort of thing. So I think those things can help um, even so much so that uh, now there's, uh, per, there's rules, particularly in baseball, minor league baseball, they've now trying to test this rule where uh, they're, um, sort of limiting uh, the sort of field placement, you know, to where you might have, you know, uh, everybody sort of up on the left side for a, um, you know, right-handed batter um, of the infield or for a left-handed batter on the right-hand right side of the infield, right? And they're limiting that by saying, you know, you've got to have, can't have more than four infielders, you know, you can't bring in the outfielder. So we'll see how that plays out. But the point of that is that Data, data analytics works, right? And it's bringing down batting averages um, and sort of funny increasing home runs, which, you know, uh, the old Babe Ruth saying, you know, hit them where they ain't, right? And so in that sense, I don't, I think that kind of makes a lot of sense that strikeouts are up and batting averages are down and home runs are up even to the point where now baseball has talked about and is implementing a sort of deadened ball and they're looking at ways to make the ball not as live. So that's, it's going to be interesting. And to give kind of a practical example to this, I kind of look to the movie Moneyball, right? And what's funny about the movie Moneyball, if you remember the scene where Billy Bean, played by Brad Pitt, takes the trip to Fenway Park to meet with, um, uh, I believe it was John Henry and some of the head guys there uh, with the Boston Red Sox ownership group. And he goes to meet with him. And it's interesting because he's offered a, uh, a large sum of money that's written down on a piece of paper and um, he turns it down. And it's interesting because you compare that to, to sort of, um, obviously that was a real life example. Billy Bean was offered money to go to the Red Sox from the Oakland Athletics, which is a big data, data analytics team. And, and obviously is, was really the, the focus of the Moneyball book and the movie. Um, it's interesting as data analytics has showed that it worked, but I think Andrew Friedman with the Dodgers who came from the Tampa Bay Rays, again, very traditional small market team. I think the Dodgers are paying Trevor Bauer more uh, per year in his salary than I think the entire 
salary for um, you know uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays team. So talk about small market team, right? But Andrew Friedman is the example of Billy Bean, but the guy who took the job. Uh, he's the example of the guy who took the money and went to the big city franchise. And of course, we've seen the success there, right? When you combine that knowledge of data analytics with money, I think that um, you know you end up in a place where you have some success, right? When you're using knowledge and traditional sort of forms of of success, right? Um, when you can buy talent and also develop talent, I think you're going to be in a really good spot. And that's nothing new. Teams have been doing that for years. I mean, uh, Branch Rickey with the Dodgers and the Cardinals and uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, I mean, really invented the farm system and development and the ability to go out and get players as well. And if you look at the Padres and the Dodgers this year, for example, you know, the Padres have really spent a lot of money in the offseason, and that's all about trying to combine um, this idea of having a great farm system, but also having, you know, money into players and keeping players, right? And that's something the Dodgers have been doing uh, for years, and they've won, you know, what, eight straight division titles and, you know, have the World Series. And so it's going to be a great year, I think. But again, these are examples of data analytics working, but you also have to have the additional intangibles, the, uh, the talent. You have to have talent and money, really, I think, to have success in sports. And sort of we've talked about that. You know, I was listening to, to uh, Colin Coward recently, and, um, you know, he had this sort of comment where he said the teams that take the most risk win. Uh, and, you know, he gave the, gave the example of Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They went out and got Tom Brady. There was some risk to that in the sense of people thought, um, you know, he's a little bit older and maybe it's not going to work out, you know, risk of injury, this sort of thing. But they said, look, Tom Brady's, you know, best quarterback of all time. We're going to bring him in. We're going to pay him. And uh, they had a lot, ton of other talent in there and they made it work. Um, you know, uh, I don't think for me it was much of a big risk. I think Tom Brady had sort of shown who he was and what he was capable of. And if an injury happened, it would probably be a freak injury. You know, I think Brady takes care of himself, but um, you know, it was great to see that come together. Right. And I think again, to Howard's point, um, you know, you have a situation where again, teams that take the most risk win. So it, it's something to keep in mind. Um, you know, again, I think from a data analytics point, from an artificial intelligence point, anytime you can take, additional intelligence and move it into combining it with, you know, traditional knowledge, you know, your understanding of the industry, your understanding of a player's personality and character, the team makeup, all those things that can't be measured by analytics and artificial intelligence. I think you're going to be in a really good spot. Before we continue on to some other points I want to take a look at with regard to sports drive to perfection in this episode, uh, we'll take a quick break for our sponsor. I want to take a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to grab the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. It also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers of $100 or more, making it free to sell your collection. Go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. 
So again, thank you to eBay. And let's get back into uh, sports drive to perfection. So we talked about the first part of the show, the use of uh, artificial intelligence and analytics and uh, big data and predictive analytics to really look for efficiency in sports, to really drive towards perfection, right? Preventing injury, uh, prevent, you know, um, um, predicting success, this sort of thing, right? We gave the money ball example. We gave the other examples uh, that we talked about. I think that data analytics is also about making risk-taking digestible. You know, it's so expensive these days to purchase and run a professional sports franchise. It's no wonder that special purpose acquisition companies uh, have taken off. Um, you know, we've talked about SPACs before, and they really should be should be called sports uh, purpose acquisition companies for the amount of sports uh, sort of product and brands that have been involved in this. And it's it's sort of interesting where now you're sort of seeing this increased idea of teams being publicly traded. This is something that's more common in Europe, but it's now entered the public conscience here in America, and it's entered into deal-making terms. And I don't think it's any surprise that a lot of teams, even if the team itself here in America is not pursuing sort of uh, the idea of being publicly traded, they have investment arms. The San Francisco 49ers are famous for this. Uh, the Red Sox are doing this. I was even recently announced that Sports Radar, the big uh, sports gambling, uh, sports betting company, and a former Dodgers owner via the Guggenheim Group uh, has gotten involved in a $10 billion uh, public or valuation to eventually look at uh, going public with a, um, a sort of a sports betting type of company. So again, it's also interesting that when we're talking about risk-taking, because it's so expensive to buy a team, obviously finance people are more involved in sports deals. It used to be that families would buy teams, right? You know, wealthy families would buy sports teams. That's somewhat true uh, still today, but at the end of the day, a lot of the times it's groups of people. You know, look at the Miami Marlins, Derek Jeter's their head guy, right? He's their president. He was an investor, but he also had a lot of other folks investing as well. And uh, this is probably something LeBron James will do when he's, when he retires from basketball um, and, you know, he's made, you know, he's made probably a billion dollars at this point in terms of, uh, you know, on the court money. And then also, you know, with off the court deals, he may be able to buy a team outright uh, similar to a Michael Jordan. Um, but um, we'll see how that plays out. But again, I think data analytics, it makes sense that finance people are getting involved because of the cost. And of course, finance people are, since they're heavily involved, uh, they have a they have an industry that's used to data analytics, right? So it makes sense that um, they're really implementing a lot of these use of AI and predictive analytics, even more so when it comes to the front office side, not just the talent side. So we'll see how that that sort of plays out uh, going forward. Speaking of which, I think going forward, there there are some questions that are raised, right? I think uh, Trevor Bauer, for example, recently had some comments about supporting an electronic strike zone. And um, I think that would obviously present, um, you know, more perfection with regard to a strike zone and this idea of sports drive to perfection and efficiency. But it obviously brings up the question of labor versus machines, right? What happens to the umpires? Are the umpires still gonna be there? Is it more like you can appeal the decision and is that something baseball is going to want from a standpoint of how much time it takes already, uh, which has been a common complaint with some of the younger fans? Um, 
you know, and then it's also the debate between unions and progress, right? So again, this is, uh, these are not uh, new questions, not front page news as the saying goes, but uh, they are continuing questions. I think the strain on uh, using data analytics and entertainment has always been there. I think it's an issue of artistic value and interpretation. I think a lot of times, again, it's a labor and union issue where studios may, uh, may be inclined to use data analytics to look at um, the success of the four quadrants of a film, legendary, uh, legendary entertainment studio, um, you know, famously uh, did some of this, which was um, a studio that was majority owned uh, at one point. Um, I think it may still be by some Chinese investors who were looking at the four quadrants of a successful film. And it's, uh, you know, male and female, it's one and two, and then both over and under uh, 25 years old is the, the third and fourth quadrants. Most big tentpole, tentpole films, like your Avengers films, your Marvel films are gonna be in that four quadrant. They're gonna meet all four. And it shows why they're so successful at the box, the box office. But I think that, um, again, in, in the entertainment space, because it's so artistically driven, there's been some pushback against analytics because it's saying, hey, we want to be able to produce films and distribute films that may not meet those quadrants, right? And they're just done for their analytic value, right? Imagine putting analytics to an art piece and saying, well, the analytics don't apply to this. Now, the irony of this is that sports are artistic as well. You know, I think um, there is something beautiful about a player going up for a layup or a dunk or something beautiful about hitting a home run, the artistic nature of a batting stance or a swing or a diving catch or what have you, right? So I, I think in that sense, or scoring a goal or a, a beautiful pass, there is some artistic nature about that. And, and sports has a way to weave beauty into our lives and consistency and um, spontaneity into our lives, right? So in that sense, but I think it's interesting from a how sports has adapted much more to the analytics side of this than entertainment has. And I think part of that is that um, you have the idea of free agency in sports, you have the idea of uh, leagues, you have the idea of competition, whereas in, you know, so you're looking for the next best edge, right? Whereas in entertainment, there's competition, of course, between the studios and obviously personal competition between actors. But for the most part, it's about creating really good content. Whereas in sports, the drive is, you know, you really have to, if you want to bring in fans, if you want to be, you know, be successful, you have to spend money and you have to be into the next best thing, right? And I think that sort of separates sports uh, a little bit. Now, of course, this is interesting because if you look at China, for example, they've just introduced this idea of surge pricing for theater tickets. Um, this has obviously uh, taken a much bigger play uh, with sort of the pandemic and trying to get people to get back into theaters. But I think data analytics has shown on the sports side that it works. You have sort of uh, lower prices for less popular games and you have higher prices for more popular games. Uh, movies can probably work the same. Um, you know, uh, I think that as long as there's a good balance between uh, sort of less expensive tickets and more expensive tickets, I think you're going to be fine. But I think in that same token, you look at HBO Max using analytics and surveys and, and data by saying, hey, look, you know, uh, the reality of it is, is that, um, you know, theaters are not open 
and we need to get our movies out there. So let's stream these things. Let's bring up our subscriber numbers. Let's, let's sort of meet the consumer where they're at. Uh, there was, you know, recently an article in uh, Hollywood Reporter about Paramount uh, Plus, the new streamer, and uh, you know, sort of looking at, um, you know, the the idea of, you know, people basically. There was a survey done saying that adults, U.S. adults, were willing to pay more money between thirteen and seventeen dollars to see movies up front and not have to go to a movie theater. So again, that's all from data analytics. That's from survey. It's from data. Um, you know, just a, a lot of really cool, uh, I think, opportunities. I think, um, you know, sort of can 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 come about there when you're talking about data analytics, artificial intelligence. But again, I, I sort of caution, and I think any sort of data scientist would caution that you know, I think humans need to be able to use this knowledge as a benefit. Uh, as a way to make a decision. But anytime you get into a situation where you let it control you, you're going to have problems. Um, you know, I think this was sort of looking back at the World Series. There was obviously the, um, uh, the polling of, uh, you know, the starter, the starting pitcher there. And there was some claim that, hey, you know, you're looking at data analytics, but you're not looking at the way the guy performs. I think at the end of the day, a lot of that stuff can be guesswork too on both sides of it. You don't really know. Um, you know, maybe he stayed in and they, you know, hit off of him. You know, you just never know with these things. At the end of the day, you make a decision and you roll with it. Um, you know, so we're sort of see how this all plays out. But I, I think that sports drive to perfection is an interesting thing to follow. And, uh, you know, it'll. I think we're all looking forward to seeing how this is going to play out and how it's going to affect labor versus machines and that sort of thing. But Again, folks, this has been a pleasure to be with you. Always appreciate you listening in. I'm your host, Jeremy Evans. This is Believe in Sports Law, the number one sports law podcast in the world. Looking forward to being back with you next week. And thank you again. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.